what a wonderful worship service and what a great moment that we could have just declaring our brokenness, declaring our desperation, declaring what we understand ourselves to be in the sight of Christ and what a tremendous worshipful attitude that we had and so thank you uh, for that. And I, um, we, um, I usually am upstairs uh, for the last month. I've been upstairs with the Kingdom Kids, and uh, we're having a great time up there. This is the last week, in case you're wondering, of opposite month. And so everything's been opposite up there. So if your kid has come home doing things opposite, it's my fault. I told them not to do it. I said, this only works up here. Don't go home with it. But um, it's been a wonderful uh, month up there. And we're so thankful for our families. We're thankful for our children. And what a privilege it is to be able to teach them and see them grow and see them excited about God's word and about doing uh, God's, uh, God's way. And we're excited about that. Speaking of that, let's, uh, let's talk about some kid stuff right now. So let's talk about Toy Story. For real, let's talk about Toy Story. Oh, yep, there we go. Let's talk about Toy Story. How many of you really like Toy Story from Disney? Okay, listen, that's a lot of us. Now, some of you don't. That's fine. I'm not here to change your mind, but it's one of my favorite uh, Disney movies. It really is. Um, I I have a problem. If I'm doing work and it's on, I have to stop work and, like, watch it. So it's a problem. It's a weakness. So I pretty much have to work at the church where nobody plays Toy Story. That way I get things done. But I like the story because it's a story of commitment, of loyalty, but I really like the theme of pretty much the whole series about who possesses these toys. And so take that next slide. You know how it goes. Little Andy, the little boy Andy, has put his name on the bottom of all of his toys just to identify him. It's Andy's mark that Andy has put on these toys And throughout this series, when they go through difficulty, when they go through challenging times, they look at the bottom of their shoe and they remember whose toy they are. And that changes everything, right? Great things happen when they realize who possesses them, right? And I bring that in because I think that sometimes we are guilty of forgetting whose we are. That we're the Lord's. We go through life, and it's difficult sometimes, and we lose people, and we lose things, and we think, oh my, what's going to happen? But sometimes, I almost feel like, you know, putting on the bottom of my shoes, hey, you're God's. So I can take my shoe off and look at it and say, hey, I know who I am. I know who, who I belong to. I belong to the Lord. I have the mark of the master on my life. And that's what I want to speak to you today about as we take our Bibles to Mark chapter 5. So we're going to talk about the master's mark today. The master's mark on my life and on your life. And we're going to use a passage of scripture that is absolutely dynamic. If you look at the book of Mark and go through the chapters, there's a lot of great things that are happening in rammed, uh, a very rapid pace. Mark wrote to a, an, uh, a, an audience that was more of a Gentile audience and more of a Roman culture. And so they were, you know, just the facts. Just give us the facts rapidly, quickly, get all of them in. And that's how they liked portraying information. We get to Mark chapter 5, and I call it the chapter of radical change. Why? Because in this chapter, you go through it and you see what happens when Jesus enters in to brokenness. When Jesus enters into despair, when 
Jesus enters into situations that are uncontrollable by man's understanding. When Jesus enters the pictures, picture, things change. Mark chapter 5 is the former demon-possessed guy. Mark chapter 5 is the former, you know, diseased woman. Mark chapter 5 is the former dead girl. Former. Radical change happening inside Mark chapter 5. If I was to do a series of three messages, it would be pretty much each event in Mark chapter 5 to show that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your despair is, Jesus can and will change your life. And we've seen that happen, haven't we? If you're a believer, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are marked by the Master. You are His servant. You are bearing His name upon you. And the Bible tells us that we are given a name. And I'm excited about that. We will be giving a new name in the book of Revelation. And I love the fact that we can look at, at, at our lives as Christians and know that we belong to Christ. He possesses us. His mark is on our life. But my question to you today is how many people around you see the Master's mark in your life? Today, as we look at Mark chapter 5, we look at a story that is very touching because it shows tremendous desperation, as all of the events do in Mark chapter 5. Desperation, you can say ostracizing desperation, which is happening here in Mark chapter 5 at the very beginning. The community, the culture has given up on this man. He is a wreck. Nobody's going to try to help him at this point. They've tried, and they have no more solutions. You ever feel like you've been there? You look in your council of advisors, and you wonder, does anybody have something that I can actually use, that I can actually follow, that I can actually you know, figure out something with? And this guy here will read his story in Mark chapter 5, is very amazing because this man was under the control of Satan himself and a legion of demons. And by the time he meets the master and, and the master puts his mark on him, things dramatically change. And I want to look at that this morning with you. So Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. That's verse number one. Now, in order to understand this whole contextual event, it's a miracle when Jesus calms the storm on the sea. Would you grant me that understanding? I mean, when Jesus steps to the helm of a boat and says, peace be still, and the winds and the waves stop, that's a pretty amazing event. Well, they just, the disciples and Jesus just went through this opportunity where they saw Jesus calm the tempestuous sea. And now the Lord is going to calm what I would consider a tormented heart. And now we're going to encounter, in verse number 2, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met a man of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. There was a pastor of old times that used to call this man the rude, crude dude with the bad attitude. Here he comes, comes out of the tombs, going to do his scare tactic. Verse 3, 
Tells us a little bit about this man. He had his dwellings among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and, and, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountain, in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. This chapter paints a very vivid picture here, doesn't it? the physical torment, the emotional torment, the spiritual torment that this man was going through. Everyone looked at this man. They saw a hopeless case. They saw somebody that they had tried to help. Society always has what they would consider a solution, but sometimes it's just a Band-Aid to a massive problem because only Jesus can really hurt, help the broken heart really help the ones that are hurting, really help those who are in desperation like this guy was. Oh, before we start talking about this guy over and over again like we were, let's bring that in right away. Because no, maybe you were not demon-possessed like this guy. He had a bunch of them in him. Maybe you were not in uh, living in the tombs and cutting yourself and self-destructive that way, but... Many times in our own lives, we can look back at before Christ and see that we, yes, we have a need to remember where we were, where God took us from, so that where he could, he could bring us where we are today. And, and instead of looking back at this guy and saying, oh yeah, he's the rude, crude boot dude with the bad attitude, I, I wasn't like him, listen, Aren't you glad that however you came to God, he fixed you and brought you to where you needed to be? No difference with him. Verse number six. But when Jesus, but, but excuse me, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. Verse number six. Verse seven and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee? Jesus, thou son of the most high God. I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Verse 8, for he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Verse 9, and he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Verse 10, and he besought him how much that he would not send them away out of the country. Verse 11, now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. Verse 13, And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Mark 5, verses 1 through 13, tell us a tremendous account of a man who was demon-possessed, when he encountered Jesus, the demons were cast out into a bunch of pigs who then flew off the cliff into the sea. When pigs fly, right here in Mark chapter 5. Into the sea. I love this man's understanding that Jesus was the only one that could help him. The Bible says that he saw Jesus afar off. He ran and worshipped him. Isn't that something? E even in the condition that this man was in of demon possession, he still understood that Jesus was worthy of worship. 
Interesting. And Jesus, when he saw this man, Jesus saw what he could do through his power and intervention. And that's what Jesus sees when he looks at lost people. That's what Jesus sees when he looks at us. That's what Jesus saw when he looked at a drunk and and turned him into a deacon. That's what Jesus saw when he sees a drug addict and then turns him into a preacher. That's why when when lives come to Jesus, they are, are changed. Oh, man, I'm so thankful that we aren't the way we used to be, aren't you? Aren't you glad that when you give Jesus your crab apple, he gives you a golden delicious? Aren't you thankful that when you give Jesus your thorny life, he turns it into a rose? When you give him your acorn, your nut life, he turns it into a great oak? Give Jesus, so to speak, in the Bible terms, your Jacob your schemer, and he will give you Israel, a prince with God. Give Jesus Simon, the cursing fisherman. He'll give you Simon Peter, the the mighty preacher. Give Jesus Saul, the persecutor, and he'll give you Paul, the missionary leader of the church. And I'm here to tell you that when the master's mark comes upon us, we are no longer the same, are we? Let's get a hold of that this morning. Just like this man is going to in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, first of all, we see a mark. When the master's mark gets upon you, it changes you. It changes you. The master's mark changed this guy. Right off the bat, we learn in Mark chapter 5 that this man was under the control of Satan. He was literally had an unclean spirit in him. He didn't just have one. He had a legion of demons. Now think about that. A Roman army could, a legion could be anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000 men. So this man didn't just have one demon. This man had thousands of demons. In verse 13, we learn that when the demons left this man, 2,000 pigs were inhabited by these demons, and they ran into the sea. So it's safe to say that this man had at least 2,000 demons in him at one time. This man was being tormented in an amazing way. Now, maybe you say, but Pastor John, I wasn't demon-possessed before I was saved. Well, you might not have been, and praise the Lord, you weren't. But aren't you glad that even so, whether you were demon-possessed or not, you were dead in trespasses and sins, and you were quickened to life? Isn't that the theme of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5? And you hath ye quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience? among whom also we had our conversation and times of the past and lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's the picture that we were. But God, in verse number 4, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved." And what a great picture of grace in Ephesians chapter 2. We used to be against God, and now we are marked by the Master. And what a change that brings. 
We, t- we talk about a change that the master brings, but we also let her be a change from uh, misery that this man was experiencing. Living in the tombs doesn't sound like a wonderful place to hang out. As a teenager, I used to go with my friends and we used to play, you know, hide and seek inside a graveyard in Wallingford. We were very careful not to damage anything. Trust me, we were. But it was a great place to play hide and seek because it's scary. It gives you the chills and creepers, right? Okay, so we would do that. And it was, yes, and it was very dangerous because there are some graves you don't see in the dark. Ouch, right? But I wouldn't want to live there. I mean, that's where dead people are. That's where this guy was relegated pretty much to live. They didn't even want him among the living. They basically said, we're riding you so much out of society that go live among the dead. That's tough. His demons had caused him to be self-destructive. We see a very vivid picture of misery here when somebody is going to actually take stones and take glass and actually cut themselves. And listen, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that this type of self-destruction uh, is not something that our culture is away from. We still have people that because of emotional misery, they do self-destructive things like cut themselves and harm themselves. And if that's happening in your life, Literally, we want to talk to you. We want to help you because Jesus can help people that are self-destructive. Maybe you're not a cutter. Maybe you're just being self-destructive with choices you've made. But this man has a very pitiful picture that the Word of God paints. Here he is being bound in chains, but those chains can't even hold him. He's breaking them. Obviously, this demon possession gives him some super strength that he possesses. And we see that this man is a great picture of who we all are in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of, tri- uh, of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. They... See the light of Christ and change because of it. And that's what happened with us, right? Aren't you glad you saw literally the light? Aren't you glad that you were not blinded like some are still blinded today? Listen, this man had a change of the master. He had a change from ministry because when Jesus comes, he The master's mark changes you and makes you somebody new. Now, I'm going somewhere because we know that. So what else do we need to know? Well, first, second of all, we see point number two. This master's mark calmed him. It calmed him. We see in verse number 14, let's begin reading in verse number 14 of the new man. Excuse me, verse number 15. The new man, Mark chapter 5, verse number 15. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid, the Bible says. And they they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine, verse 17, and began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. 
In other words, they saw this a miracle, this former demon-possessed man that now was changed by the master, the mark of the master upon this man, the change that occurred, the calm nature that this man was in, and they were afraid. Now, that's kind of funny. They were afraid of him when he was a lunatic, and now they're afraid of him when he's calm. It's kind of curious, don't you think? But what we see here is what happens when the master's mark is put upon you. You don't just have change. You have calm that comes upon you. Now, perhaps you have a testimony that you are wild. I was saved at the age of 11, man. I was as wild as you could be with a BMX bike. Okay. I mean, really. I don't have this testimony that, you know, I was in sin, again, away from God and doing all these derelict things. I lived in a pastor's home. I was a pastor's kid. We had to go to bed at 8, otherwise, you know, the devil would get us. So we didn't get to stay up. But the reality was I was just as much of a sinner as anybody who goes through horrific things in life because I was away from God. And I was trusting in myself and my own works to try to get me to heaven, but I'm so thankful that Jesus showed me that I couldn't do it by myself and that Jesus is the only thing that can truly bring calm and change to a heart. And we see this like none others. This is, this is a calming presence of the master like none other in Mark chapter 5. I mean, here we have, we have this guy who is absolutely out of his mind, scaring everybody around him, living in the tombs, causing issues with everybody that comes in contact with them. But when Jesus comes in contact with them and the master's mark goes upon his life, we see dramatic, radical change, and now he is calm. And this kind of change is a change from the inside out. And because Jesus' mark was upon this man, that's why he was calm. That's why he was sitting and in his right mind. And boy, that's the way to have effective change, by the way. I know there's lots of different ideas of how to change, but when it comes down to it, the true authentic change starts on the inside because of a nature that has changed and goes to the outside. That's what makes the gospel more than just a self-help spiel. We're not saying that you need to, you know, conquer your demons and do what you need to in your own strength because we realize that's not possible to calm yourself and to correct yourself like Jesus can do it. And so that's why we point people to Christ and point people to Jesus and make a big deal about him because if you truly want authentic change, it starts with Jesus Christ coming in and you accepting him as your Savior because without that first step, you're never going to get the change you need. Oh, you might be able to change the way you look. You might be able to change the way you dress. You might be able to change the way you speak. But you won't be able to do those things authentically until you have a change of nature. And aren't you thankful that 2 Corinthians 5.17 is there? Therefore, if any man's in Christ, he is what? A new creature. All things passed away. All things become, here's the word, new. And that new is a calming presence. 
come from the inside out means you realize that now that Jesus is your master and you have his mark upon you, you're bought with a price, like 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I am not my own. I don't think this man was at all, you can say, um, resisting the Lord's ownership of him at this point. He had been under the ownership of the devil and his legion and was thankful that Jesus cared enough to fix that situation. And Jesus did. And change was wrought. And calmness came. Calmness spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. I mean, this man is a picture of somebody in their right mind, whereas before Jesus came into his life, he was a picture of somebody that was insane. So that is a dramatic change that was wrought by Jesus and the master's mark. Are you looking for a total makeover today? Things just not turning out the way you think they should? Where have you gone to find that solution? Have you gone to the master? Because Jesus, the master, can change and calm things in your life that you can't calm in your life. I can't calm in your life. No self-help book can calm, okay? Jesus, though, can. We're talking about the master's mark here. It's a mark that changed this man. It's a mark that calmed this man. But third, it's a mark that compelled him because I love the rest of this story. They were afraid of what had happened to this man. They saw this calm man sitting there. They knew it was the man who formerly was just scaring everybody and causing fear. Now this man is sitting there. He is clothed. He is in his right mind. And they're afraid. And what's their response? They want Jesus out. So in case you're wondering why the world does not really enjoy the change that the master makes, you see it here in Mark chapter 5, don't you? They see this tremendous change that the master brings into this former demon-possessed man's life, and they're afraid of it, so much so that they want nothing to do with Jesus. And that's a sad thing that we have even a culture today that even though they see the mark of the master on our life many times over, and maybe you have a family like this, maybe you have coworkers like this, maybe you have neighbors like this where you're trying your best to show them that you are a different person, you're a new creature in Christ, you've changed, things are good, and all they're doing is responding with fear and resisting Christ and saying, I don't want anything to do with him, because that's what happened in this town that Jesus was trying to minister to. We see that this mark, this master's mark, although the crowd wanted to dispel Jesus from their coast, we have this man who was compelled to follow and be a, you say, witness for him. Look what happens in verse number 18. Mark chapter 5, verse number 18. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath, com- hath had compassion on thee. I love it. Verse 20. 
And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Marvel. So we see two things that he was compelled to do here. First of all, he was compelled to desire Jesus. He said, Jesus, I want everything you can bring to me and so much more. Everything. I want to be with you. I want to follow you. I want to be one of your disciples. I want to commune with you and never leave you. And that's a pretty sweet thing to do, by the way. Boy, when you actually start to realize and get a better perspective of who you were before Christ came in and put his mark on your life and who, which way you were going, eternally speaking, before Jesus came in and made his mark on your life, we all should be wanting and desiring Jesus more. You know, when we start to get complacent and start to walk away from the desire we ought to have for Jesus is when we kind of forget, right? who we were, and we start to look at who we are now, and it causes us to lose sight of who we were. We look at our spiritual strengths and our spiritual successes, and we say, oh, okay, I got this thing by myself, but we must be always conscious to look back and say, hey, (laughs) but by the grace of God go I, right? What, what people see because of Christ is because of his grace. It was something I didn't deserve because I know who I was. I know where I was. I know what God did for me. And it keeps us balanced, doesn't it? Keeps us from being a little bit too proud about our accomplishments spiritually because God can't bless pride. And this desire to be with Jesus comes into our lives. And my, my, my friends, it's so sad that as we mature in Christianity, we lose that great desire that comes upon a new believer. Do you remember the desire you had in your life when you first got saved to be with Jesus? Do you remember that pull? You didn't know why you wanted to go to church, but you do now? Remember that pull? You never really thought Christians were cool to hang out with, but now the only people you wanted to hang out with was Christians? Remember that? You say, no, because I'm a second-generation Christian. Hey, second-generation Christian, I am too. Do you remember that God took our parents away from the destruction that they were headed in so that they could raise us in a place where we could hear God's word early and often? Do you remember that? Do you remember, second-generation Christian, that you are just as lost and just as on your way to a crisis eternity as anybody else that was first-generation living in the world and doing what the world does? Do you remember, second-generation Christian, third-generation Christian, that even people that belong and are, are children of Christians die and go into eternal flame? Do you not know that? Do you not remember that? Listen, Be thankful, second generation. Be thankful, third generation Christian, that Jesus in his grace gave you salvation too. Because none of us deserve it. And this man, he definitely, he just wanted to be with Jesus. Wherever Jesus was going to be, this is where this man wanted to be. 
But what does Jesus say? He says, no. You can't come with me. See, why would Jesus do that? I mean, what a great way to show people that you truly are the Messiah, Jesus. That you truly are all that people need by taking somebody on your tour who was formerly demon-possessed and showing them to everybody and saying, look, this guy lived in the tombs. This guy was insane. He was a lunatic. But look what Jesus did for him. Why didn't Jesus take him along? Because Jesus knew that he would be, this man would be more effective ministering to those who he was placed in divinely with. He was compelled to desire Jesus, but he was also compelled to declare Jesus. The Bible says that he departed and began to publish Here's the word, Decapolis, how great things Jesus had done for him. This word Decapolis literally means the ten cities. He started telling people what happened about to him, and it got their attention. So what are we doing to truly show people that we belong to our master, that we belong to our Savior? What are we doing to show people around us that we are not our own? We are bought with a price, and our job is to glorify God with our body and our spirit, which are His. I mean, listen, this is the need of the hour in Christianity to show our world around us that we are marked by the Master, and it's a wonderful thing. This man goes and he tells, and what do people do? They marvel. But I don't think they're marveling at this man and his story more than they're marveling at God and what God can do. Because if you look at this region, if you know something about this region, it's pretty interesting. They raised pigs in this region. Obviously, there were 2,000 swine that jumped off a cliff, so to speak, and, you know, met their demise. So put this together with me. Swine, pigs, were considered an unclean animal, and in this culture of tremendous pharisaical uh, uh, atmosphere, no Jewish community was allowed to raise pigs. If you look further into the study of this area of the Gadarenes, you realize that this was an area that was pretty much occupied by Gentile people, hence the reason they were, you know, herding pigs. This man from this Gadara region, from this Gadarenes region, was probably, from all intents and purposes, if he's one of this community, perhaps could be, and this is kind of cool, one of the first Gentiles that truly converts to Christ right here in Mark chapter 5. Isn't that something? How many of you would consider yourself to be not Jewish? I'm raising both hands. I'm French, Irish, and Italian. That's it. I tell people I'm half French and too short to be half of anything else, but that's most Frenchmen. (laughs) They should probably hire him for some kind of sitcom. Listen. Aren't you glad that the master's mark is upon you? Aren't you glad that when you look down at your boot, so to speak, you look and say, that's God's name. Because I belong to him. 
Yeah, you might go through some tough times. You might have some spiritual torment. You might have some misery that comes your way. But don't forget, um, I got the master's mark on my life. I'm his. And when you don't get any kind of attention from any of those who you want to seek and get it from, you can realize that you get attention from God all the time, 24-7. He's never missed a moment of your life. He's not about to. Because you're his. You're marked by him. Will you rejoice that the master has marked you? But don't just rejoice in it. Will you rejoice in the change that it has brought? Will you rejoice in the calm that it has brought? But then will you be compelled like this man who has the master's mark in Mark chapter 5? Will you be compelled to desire Jesus like you once did, Christian, or like you need to? Will you be compelled to share Jesus, to share your story, to share your account of how Jesus changed you? Because that's what our world needs today. Needs people with the master's mark to declare Jesus, just like this man. I'll encourage you, if you want to get a thrilling read, continue reading throughout Mark chapter 5. It's one after the other stories of people that were so in trouble, and then Jesus came and changed everything. 